welcome to Pot Against the Machine, or rather, whatever you call the thing that comes before Pot Against the Machine. I'm Sam, your host and GM, and uh, I'm here with Zach, one of the players on the show. Uh, Zach, why don't you introduce yourself? Howdy, everybody. I'm Zach. I play Brixby Renttail on our fantastic Pot Against the Machine podcast, Iron God's actual play playthrough. Um, yeah, I think this would be qualified as a pre-pod, Sam. That sounds more eloquent than what I said. <laughs> most things do sound more eloquent than what I say. Uh, so why don't you uh, tell us who it is you're playing on the show? Yeah, I play Brixby Rentail. Uh, he is a rat folk, or Yosoki, as they would self-describe. He is from uh, Chitterhome, which is in the northwest portion of Numeria. Um, although he spent a lot of his time on the Selen and the Seven Tier Rivers, sort of working with ships, working with salvage operations. Uh, he makes money by salvage, and, well, he's just a fun guy to have around. Now, salvage in Numeria, where we're going to be playing, is a little bit different from where it would be in uh, other parts of Galarian, because Numeria happens to be littered with some pretty unique ruins. Um, you say a little bit about what it is that um, Brixby goes searching for? Well, Brixby, uh, like a large variety of people inside Numeria, uh, prizes what is called sky medals, which are various medals that are speckled about the nation of Numeria, um, their origin. You know, there's a consensus that they did come from the sky. But beyond that, people have different ideas of where they possibly came from. What everyone does agree on, though, is that they're valuable. And uh, that's what Brixby hunts them for. Other than Brixby, what's a, a memorable character that you've played in, in tabletop RPGs or a, a amusing anecdote you have? I mean, I love weird characters, man. Like, Brixby's a pretty weird character. Um, I hope to get him a little bit more out there. But, like, uh, my heart will always have a place for uh, Piotr, um, who was my false medium. He was actually a mesmerist. He was a halfling. I like the little weird races. He had the, the mutant eye trait. And man, did he really lean into it. Uh, you know, he sat people down and was like, oh, Piotr, we'll have so many spirits. And he started knocking on the bottom of the table using false mediums kits. He, he had people convinced to a degree that uh, he was some form of medium. Um, you know, he definitely used the cult magic. And the second scenario... I got to, to roll him out and there actually were a bunch of haunts and he was ill-equipped as a mesmerist to deal with the haunts and can't really name the scenario because I don't want to spoil it, but I certainly died once. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure nothing that bad will, will happen to Brixby and I'm sure Brixby would never be so dishonest with, with people. Oh, no, absolutely not. He's a... Uh... Well, he's as honest as he is tall, Sam. <laughs> now, as far as Brixby goes, what would you say would be the absolute worst way for him to go when he does meet his inevitable and horrible demise on this podcast? Well, there is a uh, salient point in that last sentence that I disagree with. Um, that said, my everlasting and eternal character uh would shudder to perish deep dark within a cave forgotten 
buried under rock miles and miles just no air no light i think that would be the worst or you know because he's a rogue if he died in a trap and it would be like caught like a rat in a trap so what i'm hearing is when he dies we're gonna have to play a bullet with butterfly wings (laughs) yeah i'm sure we can get licensing on that uh dude seems crazy enough these days (laughs) I hear if you only play a couple seconds of it, no one will notice. <laughs> uh, one more question. What is your favorite type of dog? Oh, man. Uh, this is a hard one um, because um, I and, and my partner volunteer with the dog rescue. We've only had rescue dogs, um, and we foster a ton of them. Um, I currently have two. Um and my answer to that is super mutts because <laughs> that's what both of my dogs are. Um, I love all types of dogs, although I deeply encourage people to adopt and not shop. What a diplomatic answer. <laughs> I mean, I love chihuahuas, man. My first, first dog, tiny, mean, fluffy little chihuahua named Boo Boo. Uh, yeah, I mean, right up there with Piotr. Far above Piotr, I'm kidding. Yeah, probably chihuahuas, but all dogs are great. Yeah, I've got three up above my head right now, wandering (laughs) around. So as part of these little um, preview episodes, uh, we're going to do a a bit of a scene to sort of take Brixby out on a test run, um, give the listeners at home a chance to see a little bit of what he's about. Uh, So we're going to need everybody to hop in the imagination copter for a second transition sound effect here. 200 feet beneath the surface of Numeria, a portly young ratfloak leads a team of four humans through a narrow, low-ceiling tunnel that's barely large enough for the largest of them to traverse, though Brixby is able to scurry along without difficulty. They round a corner and come to a shaft that turns straight upwards, running 10 feet vertically. The man directly behind Brixby stops, crawling along, and calls out, I'm starting to think there's no end to this place, Bricks. You sure there's anything down here? Mate, you know, my eyes may be keen, but my nose and ears are keener. Do you smell that? Do you hear that? That's the movement of air. Keep going. Suck in your cut. As they continue on, uh, the tunnel with its smooth rectangular walls continues for a few dozen feet straight ahead before opening at the top of a large cylindrical room. Party pauses at the precipice, for the jump down is more than 25 feet, and the walls are strangely smooth, with a sheen like they've been oiled. At the far end of the room, and down at the bottom, is a huge bulkhead door, a small chunk near the top of which is broken away. The lead man digs a bundle of rope out of his pack and throws one end down. After you, rat man! All right, mate. Bricks looks relatively serious. How about... All of you put your darling hands on that rope. I'm, uh, well, I'm not the lithe boy I used to be. He, uh, shows a bit of fear as he grabs the rope and... Am I rolling a climb check here? No, we can, we can assume you pass at this point. <laughs> oh, that's very, <laughs> very kind of you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, Bricks, uh, casts and one more parting glance up at the faces of the men eclipsed by the 
side of the precipice as he wiggles his way down, his large clawed back feet digging into the rock, question mark? <laughs> it actually, uh, once he touches it, it appears to be metal, much like the smooth sides of the tunnel they've been heading through. This is some sort of gigantic drum, or drum-shaped room anyways. And after Brixby is safely on the bottom, the lead man follows him down, followed by another and another. Only one remaining at the top as a sort of lookout. Now that they've reached the bottom, the floor is oddly concave, uh, bending down in the center and up at the sides. And the only feature in this room, other than the smooth, oily walls, is that oversized bulkhead door with a large screw handle on it, just waiting to be turned. Well... I mean, Brixby is already immediately excited the second his toe pads touch metal. He'll look back up at the compatriots and say, All right, no slummocking around, and just slide down the rope as quickly as he could. Uh, when they're all on the ground, you know, he, he's a bit agitated, you know, and he, he gets everybody gathered because, well, I mean, there's a certain level of excitement in him that he just can't contain. All right, mice, you stand back here. I'll do what you pay me to do. And he uh, waddles up to the door. Right, as described, the door is is probably about nine feet tall, and there's a, a good-sized chunk out of it up near the top where the door should meet the frame. It looks like a hole large enough for Brixby to get through, but probably none of the others. The door itself seems to be controlled by this large wheel that can be turned one way to open it, one way to close it. All right, mates. Well, it looks like you could hoist me up through this hole and I could get through however I'm not quite sure if this door is even locked I'm going to give it one cursory once over for traps or anything that looks potentially dangerous the door itself doesn't seem to be dangerous just very very heavy Um, it does appear to be vaguely electrical. There's a sort of hum to it, as if it were powered in some way. All right, muckers. Come on over here. Grab me by the donies right there at my feet. Hoist me through the hall. Uh, the lead man waves for the other two to, to go to it, and the uh, two henchmen walk over, and they, they assist in hoisting Brixby up towards the top of the door. All right, right, right. Don't let me hit me bunks. Come on. You know the rule. You hear me scream. You try to open this door any way that you can. But while I'm in here, don't touch anything. Serious. I don't need some half-soaked river rat being the death of me. The irony is completely lost on him in saying that. (laughs) And then he just pushes his fat rat butt right through the hole. And as he climbs through the hole, he finds himself in a, a much smaller room that is almost entirely taken up by uh, a series of devices of some sort uh, made of uh, what appears to be, at least in the dark, sky metal. They're covered in uh, metal panels which are etched with tiny, tiny characters in some kind of strange language. Oh, blood now loud. Rix just drops the tools that he had started to bring out of his belt back into the pouch and just sort of without examining the floor, hands stretched forward, just begins to walk towards the machinery. As
as Brixby approaches the machine from the room behind, there's suddenly a deafening screech, followed by a, a series of metallic bangs. First one, and then another, and then a, a metallic, rusty grinding noise. And then shouts start coming from the other side of the door. God damn it! God damn it! Ceilings open up! What did you do, Bricks? What did you do, Ratman? I didn't do a damn thing. One of you coached it back there. I... I, um... Just give me a sec. You got about a sec before we're all dead in here. Stop mithering me. I, uh, I got this. This is what I do. So, Brixby's gonna continue to examine the... Uh, he... He would really like to pull away, and he hears the, the cries of, of danger, and he's pretty sure he can disable whatever trap is going on. He's just enraptured. So as the shouts continue behind him, Brixby sort of gets a sense of, of where he is and the controls on the large machine in front of him. And despite the characters being strange and alien, they happen to be a language that he's able to read. There are instructions here and there for what to do, and um, there is a, a panel that appears to be labeled emergency backfill. Oh, gorgeous. it. And he just immediately goes for the panel. Once Brixby uh, manipulates the controls on that panel and, and sort of finds the a manual override, he's able to stop all the grinding and screeching noises coming from behind him and the uh, red light that he probably hadn't even noticed glowing through the hole in the bulkhead door turns off and it's all darkness again but the the screaming seems to have calmed down go ahead and he's already in his bag pulling out a, a piece of just kind of parchment from a ragged book in the back that's loosely held there and a, a piece of charcoal and he is attempting to do a rubbing or at least a recreation of this incredibly familiar language that he's still sort of translating and discovering the true nature of. And while he's working this over, there's um, a little bit more of a um, kerfuffle from outside as one of them shouts, Hey! the hell are you doing in here? In there, we gotta get out of here! Ah, yeah, I just got um, problems of me own. He finishes the rubbing tucks it in a side pouch, takes a deep breath, reaches into a different pouch, grabs a small hand crossbow bolt, and while he exhales, jams it directly between his clavicle and his shoulder, not letting out more than a exhalation. Don't get yappy, mate. You're not the only one who uh, fell into a snare here. He'll slowly kind of leaning into it a bit pull himself up to the top of the door and uh, facing the party again in the cylindrical room and what he sees is a, a room that's at least seven feet deep with sand and uh, two of the men are, are dragging one of the other ones up out it looks like he was buried it looks like maybe he tripped or somehow got stuck under there and he is unresponsive. Leader of the party glares over at Brixby as he peeks through the hole and says, You killed Mackenzie! Mate, I didn't kill Mackenzie. If 
You weren't getting Yampy back here, cordin' about, as I told you not to do. I wouldn't have this scratch here. I'm quite sure that this is a failsafe to whatever flummoxing about you all did in the front of this room. You're lucky that you have a dedicated professional who is willing to finish the job in the face of adversity. Are you? And we'll call it scene there. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> It's got a little bit tense. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's... Oh, it's against the machine. Against the machine. Hot Against the Machine is property of its creators, all rights reserved. Pathfinder and the Iron Gods Adventure Path are properties of Paizo Publishing. Please visit them at paizo.com for more information. Theme Against the Machine, written and performed by our own Zach. Please consult the show notes for additional music and sound effect licensing information. To shift back into awkward host mode as opposed to just <laughs> awkward human being. Channel that insecurity. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> the important part is really leaning into the anxiety. <laughs>